Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. And every priest stands by day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make them with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by through the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Vicki. Good morning. Over the past couple of weeks, three weeks to be precise, uh, we've been in this sermon series entitled Treasures. We've had a memory verse, Matthew 6, 21, which in case you've been following along, I'm going to test you in just a moment. Uh, But taking a look at our treasures, right, our time and our talent and where we devote those things, calendars, checkbooks are a good tribute to that. How are we doing, friends? Have you made any realizations where you spend your time and your talent? Where are you devoting yourselves and storing up for yourselves treasures? And as we look at the scripture passage a little bit more, Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, listen, those who said 21 get an extra cookie today. Those online, it's coming your way. We're looking at this, how it has an impact in our lives, our treasures, our time and our talent. And how are we utilizing them for God's gifts to this earth? How are we giving that and how are we making an impact in our church known as Ebenezer, in our community of Stafford and beyond in our world, all for the sake of the kingdom of God? We've asked a couple of uh, folks from here at Ebenezer to share with them what this scripture passage means for them and how they see it at work in our church. And I want to invite you to take a look. We moved to Quantico in 2010 from Beaufort, South Carolina, and honestly, we thought we were only going to be here for a year. But our first and only church that we visited was Ebenezer. And we realized we had found home with Ebenezer. In 2013, we did hear that sermon that just touched us. It was the checkbook and calendars uh, sermon. And it was right about the time when I was about to write 
a rather large check for dance costumes and and solo competitions and <laughs> other things like that of all the different things that were on our calendar uh, scouts karate dance we were busy busy family and um i put down the checkbook and we had a family meeting and that's when it all changed for me so in that time we ended up leading a small group and uh, we were doing the transformation series and i think as a group we really learned what worship meant and worship took on a, a lot of different forms and for me, I was active duty Marine at the time, so a physical transformation, which was one of the seven transformations that you could go to, took on a very different meaning for me because I didn't really have to think too much about being physically fit because it was a part of my job. But uh, God convicted me in my heart of uh, how I could worship physically by serving. You know, some of those uh, things today where, where we give um, the men's ministry at the Wood uh, at the woodpile or, or volunteering at the fall festival or, or at vacation Bible school or, or giving our time, you know, to, to those kind of things is a part of our worship. It's the essence of our worship. Uh, Vicki leads and the, and the praise team and, uh, and, and, and we see, um, people's lives changed in many different, in many different ways. My, uh, biggest way of worship is through music and I get to, worship and honor him in the singing but um i really get out from the music as well and and i'm i'm i pray every time i sing that god moves through my voice that you all hear his words and and feel his spirit through through what the band is doing and 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 um I'm just so blessed to, to be able to make music and, and with, with such a creative and talented group, but to also worship with everybody. And um, I'm really blessed that I'm able to share my talents and gifts that he has um, given, but it is definitely a form of worship. I think also for Vicki and I, uh, our form of worship is uh, giving in many different ways. And um, I think ultimately the way that we ensure that um, that we worship God is that we're just obedient where he needs us to be. Thank you to Michael and Vicki Russ and Sherry. Will you pray with me? Holy and living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come this day to uh, be convicted, to be edified by you, and to be edified and convicted by one another. May we be poked and prodded this morning to fulfilling it what it is that you are calling us to do in this church and in this community and in this world. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because, oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. If, have you ever been on uh, the couch or in your chair and you're scrolling through the television and Anytime you see a film or a show, you just have to watch it. No matter if you've seen it a million times before, you just have to stop and watch it. Have you been there? Come on. Listen, we're in church. Come on. All right. Shows like and movies like Christmas Vacation or The Green Mile or Forrest Gump, which seem to be on pretty regularly, and especially in, as the Christmas season approaches, we'll see uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. For me, it's all of those, and then a show called Undercover Boss. And if you haven't, 
thank you. Some of you have seen it before. If you haven't seen it before, it's about a boss who uh, doesn't stay up at that hierarchical ladder, but he comes down and works with his employees for a week. There are big-wig executives like uh, the bosses from 7-Eleven and Domino's Pizza or Donato's Pizza and Rotorooter and Great Wolf Lodge and even White Castle. The highlighted boss comes down and he works side by side with his employees, assembling cars, making and delivering pizza, pumping gas at the station, moving parts in the warehouse, assembling cars, you name it. Also, the boss can learn from their employees the true condition of how it is in their company. It's a humbling experience for most. They saw things differently by the end of their term, especially for those folks that got in the nitty-gritty of their companies. They saw their employees as real folks who had real problems and real issues, and they saw these folks giving themselves, giving their all to service in their company. For some of the bosses that were featured on the show, their eyes were opened up to new insight from their employees on how their company could function a little bit better, be more efficient, and even serve. How could they serve the community that they were finding themselves in a little bit better? It was about joining the ranks of those who were in service, not being a boss that stays aloof and afar in the hierarchical nature of the business. It was about being in the muck and the mire, the grim and the grit, being on the ground, working side by side. In this, the bosses are not simply putting their money where their mouths were, but they are putting their treasure and their lives, and they're putting it all on the table. Not simply their business, where they find their treasure, but their employees, the ones that make the day-to-day happen. In our letter to the Hebrews this morning, we have words written to a Jewish Christian community that's living in Jerusalem. And this people were a persecuted people, a people that had been rejected by all of their family, all of their friends, all because of their choice to follow Jesus the Christ. In the early days of this community, they were filled with fire and fervor, and they burned with a bright, great hope, all for the sake of the gospel, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. But now generations have been passing. And their passion began to wane. They were left wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? Maybe we misplaced our hope. This community of folks had been uh, devoting themselves time and time again, all for the sake of the gospel, and yet they were persecuted for it. And so out of their fear, many of them stopped following Jesus. They started to go back to what they knew, Judaism. Amid all of this, the author of Hebrews feels that they need a reminder of the promise of the gospel of Christ. That Jesus had not abandoned them in the ninth hour, but was waiting at the right hand of God. My friends, the gospel truth is this. Ours is a God who doesn't stand aloof and afar, but is as close as our next breath. As near as a whisper in the whirling of our minds and the beating of our hearts. Jesus is our undercover boss of sorts. Christ came into the world and dwelt among us and revealed and exemplified to us what it's like to be a child of God and what it's like to live in community with one another, the community, the body of Christ. Jesus the Christ, the one who exemplified himself on a cross and sacrificed himself on the cross, came into the world to redeem us and to save us. Amen? 
We're told in John's gospel, uh, you know, after John 3:16, we also have John 17. We can't forget about that. God did not send his world in, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Amen. John continues a little bit later on and in the epistle, it says, in this love of God, and the love of God was revealed among us in this way, God sent his only son into the world so that we might know and we might love God. It's not because we love God, but it's because God loved us first, that Jesus was sent as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We have this God in Jesus Christ who we thought was unapproachable, but now has been made approachable. A God who comes and dwells with us. A God who comes and meets us where we are and by the Spirit testifies to us. In the passage from Hebrews, we hear the scriptures and we hear the echoes of truth about living in a Christian community, about living as Christ followers. It says, from the deepest love, Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 10, 12. Christ's sacrifice is perfect and made complete, 10, 14. We are a part of a new covenant with God, and that covenant includes a forgiveness and a forgetting of all of our sins and lawless deeds. And there's a new way, a new way in Christ. We don't have to be what we were formerly, but there's a new way. Amen? At the time when this letter was compiled, many of the followers of Christ began to question and doubt. Is Jesus really the Messiah that has come to fulfill all of the promises? Is this really the Messiah that has come to uh, enact upon what those Hebrew scriptures said? He's not a militant king who would come and destroy the enemies of his people. However, they encountered Jesus with no social standing who was arrested by the Jewish leaders and persecuted and crucified by the Romans. Sure, there were some in the Hebrew community that were witnesses to Christ's resurrection, but he ascended. He left them. He left the earth. He left his people. And now this group of followers were being persecuted and killed rather than living into the victory that they had thought. But the victory came another way. The author reminds the Jewish Christian community of the old ways of worship. Starting in at Hebrews 10, verse 11, where it says, Every priest day after day stands at the service offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away the sins. From the time of Moses until 70 AD with the destruction of the second temple. Every day, twice a day, one in the morning and one at the evening, two lambs were sacrificed as a reminder of God's mercy as a reminder and a symbolicness of God coming to this earth. And similarly, each day, day after day, Israelites, if they had sinned, they had to come into the temple and sacrifice something in order to be forgiven and be reconciled with their sin. And what they would do is take their hand and take the offering and place their hand upon it, transferring their sin to the sin of that animal or the sin of that flower or whatever it was. But this way of sacrifice is no longer because of Christ. Amen? In Jesus' death on a cross, we no longer have mandatory sacrificial deaths of bulls or goats or rams or doves or flour. When Christ came and when Christ died on the cross, he freed humanity not only from the depths and the deaths of sin, but also the ritual sacrifices that surrounded these people. This single perfect offering of Jesus is the onset of the new covenant. 
That's foretold by the prophet Jeremiah. Hebrews quotes this prophet Jeremiah in saying that this is the covenant that I will make with them. This is what God says. I will remember their sin no more. I will write my law on their hearts and I will write it on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness, there is true forgiveness. There is no longer a need for an offering of sin. But what is it that truly keeps us from being freed? We all have things that are weighing us down. Perhaps it's guilt over something that we said or did that hurt another person or something that we didn't say or didn't do that needed to be expressed. And over time, that that brokenness comes like a ball and chain weighing us down and dragging behind us again and again, day after day, keeping you from living life as a Christ follower fully. Jesus came to save us from the chains of sin and death and came to free us from those chains. And Christ created a church, a place for us to be vulnerable, a place for us to be challenged by one another, all in love. By and because of Jesus We are certain, we should be certain, that our sins have been washed away, that we have been made anew, that our conscience can be clean, because, friends, we are free. Amen? What prevents us from fully being free, though? We still act as if we have those chains still around our ankles. Why can't we just live into the freedom and our acceptedness and our belovedness and our Reality that we are children of God. We worship a God who says, I will never, I will remember, I will not remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. I have set them free. Imagine, imagine for a moment that you truly have been set free from everything, your, your bondage, your sins have been washed away, all rights have been made wrong, all memories and brokenness have been healed, and all burdens have been released, but now what? Listen again to the words from Hebrews. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another. There's an old story about a disciple and a teacher, and the disciple asks the teacher a question. Where shall I find God? And the teacher simply said, here. Then the student said, well, I can't see God. Why why can't I see God? The teacher said, because you do not look. And then the disciple said, well, what should I look for? The teacher said, nothing, just look. And the disciple still confounded. He said, but look at what? The teacher said, anything, anything your eyes enlight upon. But must I look in a special way? No, 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 don't look in a special way. The ordinary way will do. But don't I always look in the ordinary way? The teacher says, no, you don't. The student says, well, why ever not? The teacher says, to look, you must be here. And you're mostly somewhere else. Our mission here at Ebenezer Church is to transform lives through Jesus Christ as we connect and heal and bring hope to the world. This mission, that mission, and that work is primarily an activity of the work of the Holy Spirit. Mission is an attribute of God. Our God is a missionary God. Our God is a sending God. 
It is not the church's mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of Christ and the mission of the Holy Spirit that includes us, the church. The church is not the mission, friends. The church is an instrument of God's mission. And we, the church, are called and sent to go. Go and gather with one another. Go and provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Go and encourage one another, all while holding fast to our hope, and encourage one another, all while holding fast to our hope, that is Christ Jesus. Because the one who has promised is faithful. Amen? We've accomplished some of that this morning, haven't we? We've gathered together as a body of believers for a time of worship, but now what? How do we go and do? How do we go and provoke one another? How do we go and encourage one another? How do we go from this place and change the world? The author of Hebrews wasn't talking about provoking in a malicious or a spiteful kind of way, but rather provoking in a way of doing love and good deeds. It's a way of poking one another and prodding one another and challenging one another to hold each other accountable in such a way that we are all going to go and to do and to love one another. Not just talk about it, but actually go and do it. My friends, a church, the church, is not a place where everyone plays nice and gets along. But it's a place where our duties to include each other include difficult, perhaps contentious wrestling. But it's always wrestling with, a, with each other. Wrestling about what love and good deeds looks like in our church and in our community and in our world. We're called to stir it up with one another. And if necessary, irritate each other. Sounds like a mission, right? Some of us like that irritating, right? But we're called to irritate and to provoke one another to do love and good deeds. Not just irritate to irritate. Not just provoke to provoke. Amen? Amen? Amen. Those of you who are a little silent like the provoking and the irritating, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. We're called to fulfill our baptism as we provoke one another and as we encourage one another. But what does that mean? What does fulfilling our baptism mean? It means rejecting all of the evil in our world, rejecting all things that stand against us and God. Fulfilling our baptism means that we, we repent of our sins, we ask for forgiveness. Fulfilling our baptism means we stand against all evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves. Fulfilling our baptism means that we trust Jesus and we confess that he is our Lord and our Savior and put all of ourselves to serving him and serving one another. How can we do that this week? How can we take the treasures that we have received from God and share that with someone else? How can we go this week and beyond this week and live into and live out our baptismal covenant? The gift of Christ is the gift and treasure that it is. And it's not one that we should just receive and keep it stagnated in our pocket. It's one that we need to share it with each other. Share it for the building of the whole body. Amen? Amen. So how are you going to leave from this place? To go and to do and to provoke one another and encourage one another. To love and good deeds. My friends, I want you to make it your business over the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months. In fact, for the rest of your life, 
one person per day. Encourage them. Compliment them. Strengthen them. Build them up. And maybe irritate them. Provoke them a little bit. Show and share that blessedness, that acceptedness, that belovedness that you have received from God and go and share it with someone else. Use your time, use your talent, use your treasure, all as a means to show that God's kingdom is here on this earth. Because, my friends, in doing so, you're acknowledging your own freedness from sin and from death. And by showing that and sharing that with someone else, you're able to free them from their sin, to show them that there is another way, the way of Christ. Amen? That's the gospel of good news that you have been set free from the pettiness and life and living and all of your bills have been paid and all of your sins have been forgiven and all that was broken once in pieces has now been put together because of Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast to the hope that we have because the one who has given us this hope is faithful. Amen?